when you heal, I find that you either heal by contracting or expanding. So if you heal by contracting, then you're always bumping into the scar tissue. (laughs) If you Mm. heal by expanding, then you just want to invite more. Welcome to the Bro Novo Podcast, the podcast that models healthy communication for men, empowering them to start the journey of self-work. Now here's your host, Thomas Pierce. Welcome, friends, to this week's episode of the Bro Nouveau Podcast. I'm your host, Thomas Pierce. My guest this week is T. Keaton Woods. T is a transformational coach who strives to create a sacred space for her clients to get curious and claim their own passion and pleasure. This is one of the most fun and insightful conversations I've had. T was an absolute awesome uh, conversationalist and guest to have in the program. We hear a little bit about her story and her approach to helping others and why she does it. And she brings a really incredible level of insight and honesty and inspiration about life. I felt really invigorated after talking to her. And I think you will too. So big thanks to T for coming on the program. And we'll see you next Thursday on the Bro Nouveau podcast. And we are recording T, the Wonder Woman for the Soul. Welcome to the Bro Nouveau podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Thomas. I'm so excited to be here with you. Yeah, absolutely. Likewise. Thank you for taking the time. So we are recording at 5 p.m. Pacific. But you are not in the Pacific time zone, so why don't, why don't you share where in the world you are? <laughs> um, 1 a.m. GMT in Aberdeen, Scotland right now. Nice. So, so you yeah. are the, a digital nomad um, at this moment, which is awesome. So yeah, well, uh, can you start with maybe a little background on kind of who is T and, and you know, and that intention of being a the Wonder Woman for the Soul. What does that What does that mean for you? Um, who is he? That's a great question. Um, yeah, I you know started out like as a producer and working in theater and working with creatives in my life, and then um, burnt out and went and did some other things. And then about six years ago, um, started managing actors uh, as an assistant and intern originally. And now um, I'm the head manager at the company. And then about three and a half years ago from that, I started coaching. So I am a transformational coach, um, specifically focusing on artists, creatives and entrepreneurs. And the whole sort of Wonder Woman for the soul thing is like, I want to stand beside you, whomever, be their champion and help them brave the battle to live from their soul's purpose um, and to like really honor and sit in that. So that's sort of what I figured out about why I'm here on the planet. That's awesome. I've been, I identified recently that I want to try to identify my purpose. And that's really cool that you can help people do that. And I think it's interesting thinking about how people approach that 
perspective, you know, because everyone's going to have a different kind of take on it, right? As far as what their purpose is and maybe their purpose is to find a stable job and support their family. And then maybe someone else feels like their purpose is to build a billion dollar conglomerate and live a life of, you know, insane experiences. And yeah, so it's kind of a, there's a whole array. And so, so I've been someone who I've always had like big dreams and a big vision for myself. And I've identified in myself that I can be judgmental of others if I feel like their vision of their lives isn't as like rad, right. Or like as, (laughs) (laughs) cool is whatever I define cool as. So have you ever had that come up as far as your coaching and kind of how do you, you know, how do you approach people with compassion when it comes to that? I mean, that's rule number one. It's not about me as the coach, right? I'm a guide and a partner. Um, And it's very funny that you bring this up. I was in some training recently and with a bunch of other coaches and one of the things I asked was for people to show up authentically in their lived experience, but to notice when they're judging and not react from it. We all have judgments because we're all human and we all have our own lived experiences, but especially for a coach, my job is to be curious about my client. And I find myself platonically falling in love with every person I work with because I want so much for them. So Um, if someone decides their life purpose is to be a homemaker and raise babies and bake bread, yes, let's get that for you. And if somebody's life purpose is to be on the cover of people as the sexiest man alive, like, let's get that for you. Um, Mm -hmm. everybody's dream is their dream. Um, and you know, people may think mine is silly or judge what I, how I show up or what I say I want to do. But um, I find if we each approach the other person as a person with that like humanist aspect first, um, then there's, you know, that judgment immediately dissipates. It just like, oh. Nice. Yeah. So you in just this brief interaction in our previous interaction, you know, you, you seem, um, fearlessly yourself or, you know, not concerned about how others might perceive you and, and kind of tapping into your own abundance of love and affirming energy. So how did you get to that point? Because I would imagine that it took, you know, some work. <laughs> so much work. Never ending work. Um, yeah, a lot of work. Uh, a lot of trauma. Uh, a little bit of drama. <laughs> and then the realization that like, holy crap, I'm still alive through all of that. I work with a coach. Like I believe if you're going to coach or be a therapist or be in the business of helping people, who is your helper? Where's your sounding board? Um, Mm -hmm. And when you heal wounds, right? um, I find that you either heal by contracting or expanding. 
So if you heal by contracting, then you're always bumping into the scar tissue. (laughs) If you Mm -hmm. heal by expanding, then you just want to invite more experience, more um, love, more openness into your world. Because especially if you survive something um, or survived multiple things, and then you realize I'm still alive. Life is juicy and I want to squeeze every bit of the nectar out of it that I can um, because I'm grateful to be here and get to play with other humans. So totally that's how I got here. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. That's, you know, the trauma piece is what immediately jumps out to me as far as like what can be relatable for, you know, the women listening and, the man in the audience is this like how much sexual violence there is in the world and how that's not really acknowledged or discussed openly. And, you know, I think there's some pretty alarming statistics around the common nature of it for women in the Mm -hmm. world. And as men, it's something that we may have experienced you know, it, it happens to men, but definitely not at the scale that it does for women. So that's just something that off the bat, you know, I want to acknowledge is that that's something that men don't really have to deal with or think about or want to t- acknowledge. I mean, you know, that's certainly in my history, as well as so many women, I would say probably almost every woman I know has experienced some version of that, depending on like what level. Um, it's one component of this trauma piece that I've had. And when I, and I kept it a secret for a really long time. And when I was able to speak about it, then it was like, oh, I don't need this piece of luggage. <laughs> I got lighter because I was open. And, you know, the first person I shared it with was one of the men in my life. Um, I'm very lucky and blessed with the abundance of warm, really emotionally connected, um, lovely gents. And, um, you know, he didn't apologize because it wasn't him. He didn't say anything. He just said, what do you need? Thank you for telling me, what do you need? Um, And that was like, okay, that's the starting point, right? The starting point is so much like, I hear you, I see you. Like, you're not blaming me or all men. You're not saying like, you've been harmed in this way. And so now I owe you something. You're just saying, this is my experience. I need to share it with you. And I want you to always be mindful of how you treat the women who come into your world. So nice. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. That's, you know, I think you, you kind of indirectly answered something that was in my mind around like, how can men support or like if they are confided in by someone who's been raped or assaulted you know, and, and what that friend said sounds like an awesome way to start of thank you for sharing and what do you need? How can I be a support? So that's a that's a beautiful a beautiful thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nice, I think nice. get curious. Like yeah. I think that so much in the world 
can be healed about being curious about the people that we're in connection, conversation, experience with. What's going on for you today? What's present for you right now? You know, that curiosity then connects you and you can say, okay, maybe what's their response to this isn't about me. Maybe there's no blame or no real anger or animosity directed towards me. (laughs) They're having something in their own experience that I wasn't aware of. Totally. A big, a big concept for me recently in my own relationship has been like checking that judgment kind of similar to what I was referring to, not specifically about like my partner's like aspirations, but like, like behaviors or things that she might do that I haven't seen before or is like foreign to me and thus like the unknown and thus intimidating and scary. And instead of I've caught myself and put that on her of being like, um, a judgmental attitude rather than a curious one. So I think that is another huge, great reminder for me personally, and also probably for everyone else listening. (laughs) Well, you also just like hit on something magical. Like you hit on the like big thing, right? Intimidating, scary. Most of us lash out and act ridiculous in situations because we're terrified and we feel out of control. So we revert to, I'm going to dominate, I'm going to top, I'm going to clamp down. Mm -hmm. When it's like, what happens if you go, okay, what's going on? Hands off. I'm going to lean back and watch and listen and take in. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. For sure. Nice. So the another element that you mentioned of your practice is with creatives and founders. Mm-hmm. I saw on your website, also female founders in particular. Yeah. So what about those uh, identity traits or uh, yeah, identities uh, inspire you? <laughs> so his laughter now, everybody, is because I just got very giddy because I love talking about this and these people. Um, I realize the thing that's most important to me is the dreamers, right? Uh, those people who say, oh, what's next? And then go out and try to get there. Um, you know, when they hear a car going over a grate, they hear a beat to a song. <laughs> um, they just perceive the world differently. Mm-hmm. A lot of times what happens is that somebody will then offer them money to start a project or management or be an agent for them and then try to quash all of that beautiful dreaming magic and weirdness. And so the volume gets super turned down on the authentic creative spark of those individuals. So, I call the work that I do with them is rehoming them to their authentic creative spirit. Um, the reason they started founding, creating, writing, singing, all of those things. Um, the personality traits that tend to come up consistently and even more so with female founders and artists and creatives 
is the amount of times I talk about imposter syndrome. Mm. And my response is, that's not a thing. <laughs> Let's get to the underlying thing about what's really what you're really feeling. Um, the amount of times I talk about like not being able to control image, uh, someone uh, telling you how they think you should show up is so a consistent through line um, that I was like, wait a minute, these people need someone to say and champion and support them in getting so solid and strong in their voice and their passion that it's unshakable. And then what do they go out and build and create from there? So I'll give my understanding of what imposter syndrome is. Mm-hmm. And then maybe you can, uh, if you'd like to kind of describe how it comes up in these creatives and founders. Mm-hmm. Cool. So my understanding of imposter syndrome is, is the situation where somebody has some success or achieves a reputation or level of expertise in some kind of area and then becomes a resource or a trusted kind of authority on, on that area. And then in their heads, they're thinking, wait, but I'm not actually, I'm just my inner child or I'm just my self-limiting beliefs. You know, everything's going to come falling down. (laughs) Yeah. Like to the point, like even me coming on the show or any other podcast or interview I've done, like I call my mom and I go, I'm an authority on things. Like who, who said, who said that it's true? (laughs) Like who gave me that permission? And I was like, I gave me that permission because I claimed it. Like, yes, I've done training and yes, I've been in this work as well as of it. But it's like, I claimed it. So you hit it, what it is. It's that something happens to that a self-belief is eroded or some subconscious belief starts bubbling up and gets afraid. And so then feelings of like, I'm not worthy or who am I to stake this claim? Or am I operating from ego? (laughs) Starts bubbling up and warring with you. Um. And what happens if we start celebrating ourselves and our wins? One of my favorite activities is back padding. <laughs> Some days <laughs> so I just nice. give myself a gentle, girl, you did it. Or, you know, writing down, journaling at night before I go to bed. Three things I'm proud of today. And some days, the only thing that I'm proud of is, oh, I actually showered today. Congratulations to you. <laughs> but some <laughs> days there's big wins. Totally. Nice, nice. And I feel like the whole imposter syndrome thing, maybe by definition or, or by default, can only happen to like actually nice people. You know what I mean? Or, like authentic <laughs> people. <laughs> you know what? That's a new perspective, and I, I I'm now deeply curious and want to investigate that. Um, Huh. Because here's my, here's my logic, right? Like, yeah. So, like a sociopathic person would just come from the perspective of I'm gonna use this authority for my own gains and not have any emotional engagement with the people I might be affecting. And just like the people who have no moral compass or no sense of conscience, 
would just be like, yeah, my, they would believe it or they'd be like, yeah, I am an expert and they believe it so much that it actually becomes true. And that's how people come to positions of authority who really shouldn't be. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we've seen some very throughout history, there has been some very scary examples of what you're talking about. Um, so yes, I completely agree. This is definitely, I, I would have to agree. Like I'm not a therapist at all, but there's probably some kind of um, mental uh, component <laughs> to this of, you know, I'm the greatest of all, or, you know, having the privilege actually to think that way. And lots of people don't women, people of color. I'm a woman of color. Like no one ever told me like, Hey, black girl, you're just going to be president. I, I really wanted to be for a very long time. Like I made my mom keep boxes of all my grade school papers for my presidential library. Um, and then Uh, I moved on. Like I wanted it, but nobody was like, Oh, that's a dream you should shoot for, you know? So I think there is something in what you're saying about, you know, people without a moral compass, people without mores and values or compassion that we were speaking about earlier are probably more subject to um, not have to deal with things like feeling, but they're also probably not looking for coaches and therapists and trying to expand and do the work on themselves either. Right. Yeah, that's an interesting point about the role models and and no one telling you you could be president from a perspective of like me and my education. So then, you know, how I haven't read up on this and I, I have I should read Becoming by Michelle Obama, but you know, her rise to superstardom and power and influence, you know, how I guess my question is, I would perceive that to be very transform transformational, right? For black girls or any girl, women of color, I would, I would imagine. Is that true? Is that, has that, has she been, you know, as like a seminal figure in that way? I mean, for me, definitely. Um, she is like a, someone I deeply admire and I stay deeply curious about. Um, and I have gifted that book numerous times and the journal (laughs) multiple times to multiple different people in my life. Um, you know, but I would say women who have sort of been big influencers and (laughs) hugely impactful for me are people like, uh, Nina Simone and Josephine Baker and, Dr. Betty Spaz and less sort of mainstream. Maya Angelou is a huge one. Um, mm-hmm. Her writings and teaching. Uh, those are sort of the kinds of women that really affected me and pushed me to sort of, and my grandma, my granny was amazing. She had, Heck yeah, she had nine kids and was just hours off of PhD. Like she was brilliant and this wow. and learned how to play like piano in her late sixties. Like she was the dopest. That's so woman. cool. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it was those kinds of women who didn't say I couldn't, 
They just said you had to work harder, be faster and fun the air. <laughs> and uh, nobody was going to give it to you. You had to take it. Um, and so they've really been the ones who formed most of my philosophy and the way that I show up in the world. Nice. Nice. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. And not that I am thinking that, of course, you speak for or represent a massive group of people. <laughs> <laughs> All the ladies. Oh, All no. of them. Yeah. 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 That's, there's a great um, rapper and activist, my son, who is a really interesting guy. Um, he basically was coming up in the same era as like 50 cent and other rappers from New York who went on to great superstardom and then basically ended up incarcerated for seven years, um, on a crime he didn't commit. And it was one of the situations where the guy brought the charges and this guy, my son went and talked to him and said, Hey man, like this is patently false. Like, what are you doing? He's like, okay, you're right. I'll go and tell them the truth. And the prosecutors basically said, you have to follow through with this or we're going to screw you for defamation mm-hmm. or, uh, and contempt of court, I think, or lying basically. So he sat in prison for seven years and he's this guy. He's one of the like greatest lyricists living who had that kind of pivotal moment of his life and career taken from him. And he's now, you know, an activist and um, still makes incredible music. And he has a, a lyric saying like, we need a thousand Oprah's and you know, a thousand Michelle Obama's. I forget who else he mentioned, but like that's, he's like, it's not enough to have you exactly. It needs to be like so many. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like having awe of any of these women is like not enough. Like I'm obsessed with Mavis Staples. I don't know if you know Mavis Staples, so like the Staples mm-hmm. singers who's like still around kicking and touring. Like I think she's nice. in her early eighties. Um, She's got this voice that just like shakes you to the foundation. There's a great uh, biopic on HBO Max about her. Um, oh, nice. And, you know, she's been singing and doing this work and being an activist forever. And like she's like in her lifetime, so much has happened. Like she's saying behind like Dr. King and she's still out playing folk festivals in like, 2019 you know and yeah i just think that like we need thousands like it's when we get the the fact there's still places of that women and people of color are carving out being the first of when we're five seconds away from 2022 is intense right like the fact that we still even need to measure that is it's a lot (laughs) Um, so yeah, it's like, I say, bring it on a rising tide lifts all boats. Um, so I want everybody success because there's enough to go around. Totally. And I think that gets to a really interesting attitude dilemma around the, the concept of, um, like the pie and is the pie a situation where there's enough for everyone or is it if one slice gets taken out, that slice is forever gone and I'll never get it. And therefore I have to, you know, be threatened by it. And that's, 
Yeah. That's really heavy. It's, such, it's really heavy. It's, it's, I mean, as a person who's literally dealt with so much of that so many times and watched people compete against each other. And it's like, stand in your own power, stand in your own truth, follow your own passion. There's, you know, how many people on the planet, <laughs> you know, like we're 8 billion people or whatever. And if you, everybody like, you know, 50 million people want to be singers, there's still enough other people left to be fans. <laughs> so it's fine. Carve out your own thing. It's, there's space for you. And like anyone who wants a seat at the table, not everybody is going to want to do the thing. Not everybody. Some people are going to still want to be doctors and some people are still going to want to be cooks and chefs. And some people are going to want to have simple lives where they work at the post office or drive a truck or do those things. Right. Um, So just because somebody else gets to have their dream, does not mean that you don't get to have yours. That's not the way it works. You might have to find your people, but your people are out there. If you're standing and operating from a authentic and creative and whole place. Totally. And I think that attitude also gets at the resistance to conversations around diversity and inclusion and pushbacks to things like um, affirmative action or any of the various kind of uh, large scale attempts to create equity. Because <clears throat> it's this idea that the individual feels a, so I guess to be specific, like the, individual white person would feel like if, if I would put myself in the shoes of a white person who has that attitude as that those actions would somehow take away an opportunity or remove some thing that I feel entitled to. But like, the, the, I think the thing that those people are maybe potentially missing is that like, you still have to go earn those things and, with the privilege kind of automatically bestowed upon me specifically, like if with some modicum of hard work, you know, I can achieve a comfortable life, all things going well. Like, of course disaster can befall anyone, but yeah, it's just this idea of like, Oh, if we open up more resources to other people, I'm going to be screwed and that's scary to me. So I'm going to, draw a line in the sand, you know, and using those tokenized figures as like, well, Oprah made it. It's like, yeah, she's like a once in a gener once in a lifetime, you know, leader, right? Like that's not, that's not. Yeah. She's exceptional. Like you had a half black president, <laughs> like you had a black president, like, you know, and like discounting, like, you know, that like, Oh, he's biracial. No, but you know, that was the black guy. Like, it's great. Like one in 46. It's like, I don't understand what's happening. <laughs> um, and not even <laughs> if that's around the conversation, the conversation you hit on again, it's like, it's scary, right? It's scary. Um, when you've been taught your whole life 
that you're right. You're wanted, you're desirable. You're the flavor (laughs) that everybody chooses. (laughs) You are everybody's flavor. And then somebody says, Oh, no, but you know what? Like chocolate's also good. Like there's 31 flavors, you know, and you know, we're Baskin Robbins over here. Like there's all these flavors and everybody gets to decide which flavor is best for them. And companies and colleges and all the things, you know, gets to just choose which flavor they like best. And so I don't think that the sort of maliciousness and the rhetoric comes from people. I don't know that it comes from genuine hate. A lot of times I think it comes from fear and terror of I'm not good enough. So now this person has got a spot. So where do I belong? Where do I fit in? Yes. And that's sad to me. It's deeply sad to me. Mm -hmm. It is. Yeah. Cause it, it preys on, you know, the innate insecurities that everyone has unless they draw that poison out, if you will, you know, and it kind of, yeah. So I also, I also want to point out that, you know, these are generalizations I'm making too. And, you know, I think it's, it's interesting you know, one of the like things I've observed in these kinds of discussions and, and, you know, I would say like our peers or people who have similar mindsets to us is actually a lack of compassion for people in that attitude. And, you know, I can't, I can't tell anyone else that they should feel compassion for someone who is intolerant, of course, but just from my own perspective, like, you know, I think about how I grew up and my influences and, if I didn't have a a household with two strong women and be exposed to living in a city and have these influences, you know, how would I turn out? I don't know. I can't, you know, I can't really judge someone for how they grew up, (laughs) you know? And I think it's, cause it's all taught. mm -hmm. And that's the thing too, is I feel like as far as bringing people to the table to, to opening up to other perspectives requires compassion too. So I think actually as, as an ally, you know, maybe that's a good angle for me, you know, is to like figure out how to toe that line and bring people into the conversation, you know, with compassion, with the end goal of changing their minds. (laughs) I mean, yeah, see, I have this like sort of rarefied magical air that I get to live in is I show up and meet everyone where they are and have no expectation of them. And why I am hopeful and wishful and I long for growth and expansion in each human I come into contact with. It's like any kind of change, right? If you go to any kind of anonymous program, any kind of recovery, the desire for that change has to start with the individual. And the only thing I can do is, show up and say, okay, I'm curious. I'm open. If you are really willing, ready, enable, or even curious about what more could be for you, let's talk. 
Um, and I think that's the thing. And then whatever happens from that experience, the outcome, um, I don't know. It's that's, you know, that special sauce that always happens between two, three larger groups of people, however many people are in the space at the time. But removing that expectation, hard. <laughs> um, but if you can do it, I always find that it ends up really just opening the space and opening um, the relationship in a much bigger way. Nice. That's great advice or a great perspective. I've recently been thinking about how advice is kind of non-productive because as a concept, I'm probably trying to, I am trying to throw it out of my own vernacular, Mm -hmm. you know, because it's like the logic behind that is that whatever situation, whatever conflict or suffering or anything is between the individual and whatever force is causing them pain, you know, and no one else's experience, no matter, even if it seems exactly the same on the surface is the same because each individual is infinitely unique. So, you know, it's maybe more of a thing of, you know, thank you for sharing. What I try to say is like, thank you for sharing. You know, do you want my two cents or would you like my perspective? And then give the autonomy to the other person. Yeah, I think like in conversations like this, we're like here to show up and be honest and say, hey, this is where I stand on this thing, right? But in our normal day to day, I think we can all be served more like by asking, can I offer you, (laughs) you know, like, uh, are you willing to let me share an experience I had, you know, asking permission, (laughs) is a really great equalizer, I think. And so I love that. And I, you know, so many of us like want to be like Mr. and Miss fix it. We want to get in there and tinker and just solve the thing. (laughs) I'm like, so how are you feeling? What's happening? (laughs) (laughs) And that takes time. And a lot of people don't necessarily have that time or aren't necessarily willing to put in that time. And so, you know, I think that gets to it too. So I love that. I love hearing that you're out there being like, I'm not going to just throw in my two cents. I'm going to request permission for it. That's one of my favorite things. For sure. I think as a person with my identity too, that's a very good practice for me to just unlearn or instill that sense of respect for other people's space and boundaries, emotionally, physically, all of the above. Just as a side note. Yeah. <laughs> Cubic smile and being completely hardened um, that uh, you want to show up like that. Like, just think about what the world would be like if more people said, okay, from the place I'm standing, From my lens, what if I, or let me try to approach this situation with some understanding for who's over there, who's over there, the experience they're in. That's awesome. (laughs) It would be different. Yeah. Yeah. 
So the the other thing you mentioned about the kind of roadblocks your clients hit is is the sense of someone telling them how they do should do something or yeah. So what's what's famous <laughs> that picture if if you would please? What does that look like? Um, gosh, I see it so very much. Like everybody's got an opinion. They've got an opinion on <laughs> the top you should wear and how you should cut your hair and, you know, what vocal tone you should use. And, you know, barring a situation of like a producer <laughs> or an like in studio with an artist or an editor or a actual stylist of some sort, like there's very specific situations which that is appropriate and all other situations that is not an appropriate conversation to have with another human simply due to the fact of you're not in anyone else's shoes and you're not in their experience. So guess what? Get back in your lane. (laughs) If someone has not contracted you or hired you to, um, be an authority on whatever it is, then mind your business is kind of my (laughs) response. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, but with social media and uh, campaigning for awards and all of these things, it's like creative teaching to the test. People are trying to paint by numbers um, and who ever discovered anything following someone else's roadmap? Mm. It's not possible. Wow. I love that too, because that actually, your style of coaching is not prescriptive at all. Yeah. Big, big head shake. Yeah. Cause, but a lot of coaches are, I've had a lot of coaches on here. (laughs) Yeah. They've got, you know, I had a consultation recently and they were like, Oh, and I'm like, I don't know what we're going to co-create together. We're both present here and you're on a hike and I'm going to lead you on this hike. Cause I've walked it a couple of times before, but we doing it together. And a tree may have blown over since the last time I was on this route. And because I'm now hiking it with you, we may get curious about something over there and take a slightly veer off the path. So my approach is in coaching, especially because I'm all about transformation, how do I help you hear your voice, turn up the volume on you and have access to yourself and me prescribing a whole bunch of stuff to you is trying to mold you to me <laughs> and hands off that. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah. You rock T. Thank you for Aww, thank you. <laughs> being, uh, being present in this world. And uh, I feel very inspired just by talking to you. So thank you for that. <laughs> oh, that makes me feel warm and fuzzy. That's the warm light. Thank you. That's very kind. Yeah, of course. It's, it is genuine. Okay. Well, time's flying. So we'll yeah. pivot over to the, uh, the three things game. So 
person with this uh, closest birthday upcoming goes first. So uh, I'm, my birthday's in August. So is yours uh, sooner? May. So May. yes. Okay. All right. Here's your question. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so my the question, question is, was. Yeah. yeah. Please go ahead. What are the three things that I have learned from making mistakes? Um, the number one thing I've learned from making mistakes is to celebrate them because they're always moments of growth. They're the valleys. <laughs> so mistake, fail away. Um, I love it. The next thing I've learned is I'm resilient and I'm powerful and I can do any damn thing I want. <laughs> um, and the final thing I've learned, I would say is laugh, laugh at yourself, laugh at life um, and experience joy and gratitude and in it and mistakes and laughing at your mistakes really teaches you that. Beautiful. Great answer. Okay. My question is, what are three things I've learned about friendship? Ooh. Man, I love my friends. Number one, I'm, I'm in a valley personally right now. You know, as we, we kind of acknowledge, and I, I called my buddy Tom King. Shout out to Tom King. He's been on this podcast. Hi, Tom. <laughs> yeah. We just talked and talked and laughed and laughed and laughed. And just like, I just freaking love my friends so much and yeah, friendship is absolutely essential for life, for my life to feel full and rich. Um, and number two, I would say, is that I need to learn how to be my own friend, right? And I think the the situation or your description about mistakes being a valley, you know, is a really good analogy. And, you know, when I'm in a valley or I'm you know, feeling like I didn't do my best or whatever the situation, whatever negative self-talk comes in. This is something actually Kendall, my girlfriend has said about, you know, like Tom, like why aren't you as kind to yourself as you are to everyone else? You know? So I think that's an important um, element of friendship. And uh, number three, I would say that friendship can be provided in brief moments too. You know, it doesn't have to be a lifelong friendship. It can just be that moment on the street where you show someone some compassion or acknowledge their humanity. And that can change the whole course of the day, which then could change the whole course of their life. Potentially, you, don't, you never know. We never know. So yeah, I'm grateful for, for friendship. That's for sure. Oh, that was awesome. It resonated so deep. I was like, Oh Yeah. I love that. Nice. I love that <laughs> awesome. Dope T. Well, thank you so much for, you know, sharing your thoughts and your, your compassion and opening your heart to the, uh, the podcast here. Um, how can, uh, the audience get in touch with you if they want to check out your work? Um, I'm at the teahive.com. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn, T Keaton Woods or the teahive. Um, Yeah. That's me, sort of what I do. Uh, and I always like chatting to people, even, you know, if we're not working together. And 
Um, I just want everybody to like feel what they feel and be comfortable and at home in that experience. So thank you so much for having me and allowing me to sort of talk my talk <laughs> about all the things I'm passionate about and why I feel like I'm here on this planet. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. We'll, we'll do it again sometime. That would be awesome. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, T.